I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In this week's programme, more property and mortgage woes for shareholders and home buyers. Pension or ISA? New research reveals the most efficient way to save for retirement. A £300 million VAT rebate. That's for you, the private investor. And we have some good news and bad news on Christmas credit card spending. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hi. And Elaine Moore. Hello. And from Investors Chronicle, John McLeod. Hi. Hello to you all. So let's start off then with uh, uh, the money news. Uh, Further troubles for mortgage lenders, uh, Northern Rock and Paragon, especially if you're a shareholder, uh, in these companies, um, and also some you know, bad news for home buyers trying to find a property. Elaine, if you're if you're holding shares in one of these mortgage lenders, it hasn't been a very good week. Has it's it? not been a very good week at all. And the interesting thing is that Paragon had been very adamant that the problems with Northern Rock, the problems with the credit crunch, were not going to affect them. And then all of a sudden this week we had news that, of course, it had. Exactly. And uh, I was talking to some uh, fund managers who were rather more cynical souls, and they were describing uh, Paragon, saying Paragon's now referred to as uh, the Jordan of the stock market, uh, which apparently stands for 40 double D, in other words, meaning a 40% double drop on two days, uh, two consecutive days. Not good if you're um, a shareholder. The housing market's slowing, of course, and you've also seen uh, signs of a practice that we thought had disappeared, returning. Yes, that's right. We've heard from some organisations and from estate agents that something called gazundering is back. And gazundering is the sort of equally ugly sister to gazumping. But this is something that we see when a property market is slowing down rather than when there are a lot of buyers around. What happens in gazundering is that a buyer will typically wait until their offer has been accepted and the mortgage valuation has gone through before all of a sudden, right at the last minute, dropping their bid offer. And what's happening is that people are accepting these because they're not sure that there are a lot more buyers around the corner, so they don't think they have a lot of choice, so they're taking cuts of... uh, In one instance, we heard that I think £50,000 was lost in the space of about two weeks for one £50,000 in two weeks? £50,000, yeah. Grief. So not a happy two weeks for them. No, exactly. I mean, was, now, Steve, you and I are both old enough to remember gazundering from the first time round, aren't we? 
yes, uh, I can even remember doing it, Matthew. I'm shocked. I'm shocked to the core. Yeah, the poor lady um, was uh, sedated. But I think the serious point to all this, of course, is it's, it's just a function of the nasty housing market we have where transactions take so long. Um, and, you know, estate agents, let's be honest, they say they don't want gazundering, gazumping, but in many ways they, they are part of that game. Well, exactly. Estate agents should be the last people to start casting stones at, uh, um, at buyers. Um, I suppose what you're saying is that this, this is just symptomatic of this stage in the housing market cycle. Uh, in the same way that gazumping is a, is a signal of the of the sort of high point of it. Yeah, absolutely. Prices are changing. Um, people aren't sure of values. People aren't sure of transactions. And so I suppose we're going to see continued um, uncertainty and uh, continued cases of people gazundering with lower bids. Oh, I think so, definitely. I think it's um, clearly in some people and it's definitely in the market. Well, we have uh, articles on both the sort of Northern Rock and Paragon situation and the return of Gazundering in FT Money in the weekend FT on the 24th of November. Still to come in the programme, will a VAT rebate for investment trusts bring a windfall for private investors? And we have some good news and bad news on shopping with plastic this Christmas. But first, pensions or ISAs? Steve, it's the, the battle of the heavyweight investments. You've been looking at this. It is, Matthew, for topping up your pension. You know, never mind buy to let. We've all forgotten that now, haven't we? Um, It's the the relative tax efficiencies and relative returns of ISAs and pensions. And we're joined by Tom McPhail, Head of Pensions Research at Investment Advisors Hargreaves Lansdowne. Tom, you've been doing some in-depth research on exactly this subject. So which is better, ISAs or pensions, for topping up that boring old workplace pension. Hi. Well, interesting stuff. Um, And and when we started looking at this question, it turned out to be more nuanced than than, than we'd expected. Uh, And we'd expected some of the outputs to be quite straightforward, but they're not. Um, And it turns out, in the majority of cases, for the majority of people, if you're looking to replace your, your core income, your salary, if you like, to replace that when you get to retirement, you're going to be better off using a pension. And the ISA, if you're using it as a vehicle to provide you with an income in retirement, that ISA should really be used just as a supplement at the margins. ISAs, we feel, work best as, as medium-term investment vehicles rather than the really long-term providing you with a pension-type arrangement. So any evidence one's got the edge over the other? Or is one making a comeback? I mean, we've heard all sorts of pension scandal stories recently, haven't we? So, or recent recent years. Um, interesting developments on this front. One is the uh, the change in the personal allowances uh, that will be introduced, um, and from 2011 onwards, um, individuals in retirement will be able to enjoy 10 grand a year as a tax-free income. Um, now, that's an opportunity for people to uh, to manage their, their income in retirement to ensure that if you're a couple particularly, um, you're both taking full advantage of that. So if you're a high-rate taxpayer and your partner is a non-taxpayer, it's going to make sense to channel money into a pension for them because your pension income would normally be taxed. But if you're a non-taxpayer, if your income is below £10,000 a year, you're going to get that income entirely tax-free. Um, so you can exploit this tax system to your advantage. I mean, Interestingly, if you're paying 40% tax in retirement, you will almost certainly be better off channeling those savings into your partner's name. Well, I suppose the, um, this change to the personal allowances or the increase 
um, is, is basically making ISAs seem less attractive because it's giving you the tax relief that an ISA would, would give you anyway. Is, isn't there a case that ISAs can be better um, if you're not going to live long enough to get full value out of a pension? ISAs give you flexibility, undoubtedly. Um, the problem, inevitably, is you, in most cases, you don't know when you're going to die, um, and that makes financial planning so much more inconvenient. Um, now, if you're uh, concerned at all about your life expectancy risk, and, and we should be because uh, it turns out we all keep living longer and longer, um, and, and, and we also consistently underestimate the life ex- expectancy risk, then the pension does something that the ISA doesn't, which is to guarantee that your income will keep getting paid even if you live to 110. Um, and, and the rate of improvement in life expectancy in the last 30 or 40 years is so astonishing that you know, we have to take account of that in, in, the, in our financial planning. Yeah, I saw some figures that were, that was, were saying that uh, 30-year-olds today have a sort of 50% chance of living to 100. So I suppose passing that risk or that, that liability on to your pension provider is quite a good thing. You need to take account of that in your financial planning. Um, and we're not saying, it, to, to balance this off, we're not saying don't use ISAs, but we are saying that in pension planning terms, in terms of putting money aside to provide you with an income in retirement, certainly looking at the numbers, looking at all the issues in the vast majority of cases, it's pension first and just use the ISA as the top up at the margins. But pension is the top up in the interim as well. Uh, 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 absolutely. So um, you've, you, you've, you've got... You've, the pension has the virtue of giving you that, that predictable secure income in retirement. In many cases, it is more tax efficient as well. Um, if you want a bit of flexible, flexible money at the side, then fine, the ISIS will do that for you. Um, but again, we find you, know, you, you end up spending that money. You might want to use it for inheritance planning purposes, for one-off significant capital purchases, and then it's gone. And, and the pension is, is perhaps boring, but it keeps dutifully paying you that income year in, year out, and that's the virtue of them. And Steve, you've got uh, an article about this, this very subject, pensions versus ISAs, in um, FT Money, in the weekend FT on the 24th of November and on the website at ft.com forward slash money. Uh, so a big thank you to uh, Tom McPhail from Hargreaves Lansdowne for talking us through that. Coming up, we have good news and bad news on credit cards. Before that, though, VAT on investment trust charges – more than £300 million of reclaimed tax could now be distributed to the shareholders of investment trusts following a European court ruling earlier this month. John, um, you've been examining the ruling and its implications. Um, is this going to be a cash windfall for investment trust shareholders? Well, um, well, Matthew, it won't go directly to the shareholders, but it will go back to the trusts, so it will boost their net asset values, so it's good in the long term. Um, I spoke to Daniel Godfrey at the Association of Investment Companies, and he explained how they'd won this fight. Basically, this is a case that we've been fighting for many years, uh, and it's all about the VAT that investment companies pay on top of the management fees that they pay to their investment managers. Now, there's a European directive which allows uh, European governments to exempt certain types of funds, or in fact insists that they exempt certain types of funds from VAT. But it wasn't absolutely clear what these types of funds were, and the government felt they had more discretion than it's turned out that they have. So since 1991, they've been giving this exemption to unit trusts, and we felt this was very unfair, because unit trusts and OICs, of course, compete with investment uh, companies. Now, there is a principle of European law that you can't distort competition through tax, 
And so eventually, having tried to persuade the government for many years to put us on a level playing field, uh, we felt compelled to go to the European Court to say, look, this is unfair treatment. It does distort competition. Uh, please tell the UK government that they have to allow investment companies uh, to not pay VAT on their management fees. And we went uh, just before Christmas last year. In the early part of this year, the European Court ruled very strongly in our favour. And in recent weeks, the government's accepted that ruling. And so from now on, uh, investment companies no longer have to pay that VAT. That'll save our shareholders about £40 million a year. And we can start claiming back several hundred millions of VAT that's been paid incorrectly in the past. John, uh, Daniel Godfrey made it sound as if finally we're going to get equal treatment for investors in unit trusts, OICs and investment companies or investment trusts, as they were once known. Does that mean that all fund-type investments are now going to be treated in the same way for VAT? Well, there's still a slight anomaly because venture capital trusts or VCTs haven't been included in the ruling and the AIC is now going to press for those to be included. That's not all they're doing. They're also pressing for um, the way that bond interest is treated to be, to be changed. At the moment, open-ended funds can basically pay, pay to gross effectively, so it's taxed at the investor's marginal rate, whereas with investment trusts... It's taxed internally, and they, they basically want this to be changed so that it comes out and it's treated as just bond interest separate from the dividend. So that would mean a bond fund that's structured um, as an open-ended unit trust or open-ended investment company would be treated in the same way as a bond fund that is currently an investment trust? Uh, there are a few um, investment trusts that, 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 that hold bonds. I mean, some of them hold them as part of the portfolios. But presumably there are, there are very few of them because it's so unattractive at the moment. That's right. It's not tax efficient. But, I mean, in general, investment trusts are usually cheaper than, than open-ended funds to run. So this could, in the long run, this could be good news for investors. Um, and I suppose th- this might help sentiment towards the investment trust sector, which, let's face it, hasn't been terribly good of late. We see lots of these investment trusts currently trading at share prices at a big discount to the value of the assets that they actually hold. I mean, discounts have been been widening out. I mean, one of the sectors that was hit most is property investment trusts. And oddly, um, that's another area where where the the tax treatment isn't very effective. A lot of those listed in the... are domiciled in the Channel Islands and enlisted in, 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 in Britain so that they can pay out interest gross. But they have been hit because of sentiment changing. So lower charges on the one hand, but the discount thing is a risk. John, thanks very much uh, indeed for that. And finally today, we have some good news and bad news on shopping with plastic this Christmas. Um, Steve, uh, what's the good and the bad? The good, Matthew, is more cashback. Your favourite. You love cashback. My favourite. This time on a credit card, and no less a credit card than Amex, um, certain cachet to those of us of a certain age. Well, us, yes. Uh, Us, of course, yes. That'll do nicely, sir. Indeed. And and at a whopping 5% rate. That is good, 5%. That is good. Only for three months. That's your bad news. Oh, I see. Well, that's part of your bad news. The other part of the bad news is this is Amex, which is good in one level, but not so acceptable as the MasterCards and Visas of this world. Not so acceptable in some of those independent stores and so on. But even still, 5% maximum spend in those three months of £4,000, therefore maximum cash back of £200. So if you're doing a Christmas shopping in sort of large department stores, retail outlets, they'll take Amex, and you, you, know, you could quite easily make this £200 uh, extra bonus. If you're a generous Christmas giver, for sure. And um, even better, you can be a generous Christmas gifter and get extra cash back by, you guessed it, 
double dipping. Oh, you're back, you're back on the double dipping that you mentioned. You mentioned this only last week. Double dipping. I think I need to explain it again because I want to tell you about triple dipping oh, I discovered. Double dipping is you take your cashback card, you buy through a cashback website. So you get 5% from Amex. Then when you buy something from Quidco or greasypalm.co.uk, <laughs> um, you get another few percent depending on the transaction. PayPal offers, you'll remember, we covered in the paper last week as they're yes. not such a cashback website, but even still giving cashback. Now, you do want to know what triple dipping is, don't you? I'm, I'm, I'm almost scared to ask, but go on, you're going to tell me anyway. Triple dipping is where you combine your cashback credit card with your cashback website, and the underlying retailer also offers a loyalty scheme, a la Tesco's club card. So all in all, you could get your 5% from Amex, your 1% on your Tesco club card, with extra vouchers, of course, and the cashback website commission as well, which could be another, say, sake of argument, 1%. Toss it up, 7% from Tesco. 7%. Triple dipping. You heard it here first. Uh, Christmas need not be at all expensive. Uh, Steve, that sounds like a very good uh, um, deal. And I, I think I, I'm right in saying it's your deal of the week in FT Money um, out Indeed. on the 24th of November. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I'm sure Steve will have uh, <laughs> quadruple dipping. Who knows? Uh, uh, next week you'll have to uh, listen to the podcast to find out. And that's all we've got time for in this week's FT Money programme. Do remember you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's uh, goodbye from me and it's goodbye from uh, the FT Money and Investors Chronicle uh, team members. Goodbye. Bye. And it's goodbye from our podcast producers, Blue Barracuda. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.